You are listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the FCF Leadership Podcast. My name is Whitney Baldwin. Thank you for joining me on this mission to learn more about money. Today, you're going to hear a conversation I had with financial planner Mark Lober. Mark has worked with pastors and nonprofits for a really long time and knows the ins and outs of what ministry leaders deal with financially. So when he speaks, listen. This one conversation alone can help get you on a better path with whatever financial situation you're in. Enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mark. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate it too, Whitney. I'm really uh, looking forward to what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So let's uh, take a moment and let everybody get to know you and your company. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep. Uh, 35 years this year, uh, working wow. in the area of uh, charitable gift, estate planning, financial planning. Um, started out back in Virginia a long time ago and spent some time in law school there for a couple of years and um, went to work for Pat Robertson's organization as their senior financial planning specialist. Um, worked for a consulting firm that had a number of CPAs and attorneys and investment advisors and um, moved back to Oklahoma, never expecting to come back here, but uh, came back to Oklahoma uh, in, uh, oh gosh, 26, 27 years ago now and started my own company and uh, work, sit on the, I sat on the board of the bank and headed their trust department, uh, uh, chaired the trust committee, I should say, and the executive committee. And uh, so I got a little bit of the backing back, uh, banking background. I got a background in economics, spent some time in law, uh, registered investment advisory firm. Uh, I started that and uh, also have a contract with a wonderful organization, a Fortune 500 company where I handle their benefits. And then we work with about 70 nonprofit organizations, ministries and charities, helping them build their endowments for long-term sustainability. So that'll feel very, very comfortable in this area. And uh, professionally, uh, I've been both uh, in my, uh, 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 I guess you could consider them the organizations that you uh, uh, go to for your credentialing and things like that. Uh, I've been the uh, president and on the board of directors and vice president role and member of those associations for my entire career. So uh, very fortunate to be able to have a lot of background in this area to be able to be a service to people. That's awesome. And your heart is really to help uh, ministries and ministers with all of this. It's it's kind of at the forefront of what you do, you mentioned. Yeah, and, and love. Actually, that was the reason why I started my company a number of years ago, 26, 27 years ago, is the fact that uh, I really wanted to begin focusing just on ministries, but um, <clears throat> there is, for some reason, I, I don't know what it is. Um, uh, ministries have a different perspective when it comes to finances. And so uh, the secular side uh, really has been uh, taken off, but we do represent a number of national ministries and a uh, number of churches uh, locally and across the country. And so uh uh, but really, that's my heart is to, and, and, and it's really a ministry. I look at it as viewing into going into every man's world. I'm a graduate of the ORU School of Business, and I think that's part of the, the, the motto there is that uh, we're to go into every person's world, and that's, that's exactly what we do. So the ability to work with the Christian market and really with the market, uh, the secular market, and to be a light in very dark places, and just doing that through the service uh, aspect. And people know that there's a difference as a result because you're doing it as in the Lord. And that it does, it does make an impact. That's right. I love that approach. 
Um, you know, in ministry, I grew up a pastor's kid, a grand pastor's kid, a great grand pastor's kid. And there is kind of this stigma that you work until you're dead. And um, I believe that things are shifting a little bit with this current market. People are seeing how damaging burnout is and how they really need to plan for their retirement um, or even just to enjoy life a little bit more at a younger age. Yeah. So what I would love to get your opinion on is how somebody can start when they need to start what they need to do situation. So let's just take it first step. When does somebody need to start planning for their future financially? Yeah. Um, let me give an example. Um, my niece is working for me this summer as an intern and, uh, or just helping with some filing and uh, just her first experience of really being in the work environment. She's 16 years old. Um, never worked in an office environment. And I, and, and so she's been doing that. And so she got her first paycheck and, um, so when she got her first paycheck, it was like, wow, I thought I was earning this. And all of a sudden you see all these deductions coming out. And uh, so that was one aspect of it is that you have to pay taxes. But then the other side was, um, I said, would you ever, what do you think about being a millionaire? And what if in fact, I declare and decree that you are a millionaire? <laughs> and she goes, what? I said, yep, you're going to be a millionaire. She goes, come on. I said, well, you're going to have to make right choices, but let me show you a couple of ideas. And this is going to your point of, you know, when should I start? I said, most people don't start until later in life. Um, so let's just say that, you know, you start a family and, uh, you, you know, you get married, start a family, you have debt, you buy a home. And it's like, I can't put money into that 401k. And let's just say you happen to wait all the way to age 55 before you really feel comfortable in starting to put larger amounts of money into your retirement account. And let's say that you do that from 55 to 65. And let's say that, you know, you can start putting a thousand dollars a month at 55 years of age into a retirement account. And you do that for 10 years. I'm assuming a rate of return on or 12%, how much money you've invested, uh, uh, you know, thousand dollars a month for 10 years. Um, you've invested $120,000. How much do you think that's going to grow to at the end of a 10 year period of time. And I showed her it was $230,000. Because wow, that's a lot of money. And $1,000 a month, I could not even imagine doing that, let alone 55. <laughs> so just speaking to different audiences, but then I said, okay, well, Nevaeh, you're 16 right now. I said, what if you waited until you graduated college? Let's just make that as an assumption. You wait until you're 25. And you put $100 a month, and you do that for 40 years. You go, if you go $100 a month for 40 years, how much do you think that would grow into? And she didn't have any idea. I said, well, $1.1 million. I said, if you took $100 a month at age 25 all the way to 65, you're going to have $1.1 million. I said, but you know what, Nevaeh? You're not 25, you're 16. What if you waited until you were 20? How much would the same $100 a month grow into? If you started at 20 versus 25, she goes, oh, I don't know, a million, three million, four. I said, no. How about 2.1 million? Wow. The difference, the difference between 25 and 20, same amount of money, $100 a month, never increase it, rather than 1.1 million, turns into 2.1 million. 
And that's the power of compound interest. I say, could you imagine if you started at 16? And what if you couldn't put $100 a month? But what if you could only put $50 a month or $25 a month? And you're, you're looking at least a million dollars at $25 a month. If you do that for 35 years, or for, excuse me, 55 years until you turn 65, you're talking a significant amount of money. So the whole idea is, when should I start? Now. Because yeah. the longer you wait, the more expensive it is. Right. And uh, so that's, that's really my encouragement. And the other thing is, don't despise the day of small beginnings. That's Even right. getters little by little will have much. And I think, especially in today's society, you know, I don't know if a lot of your viewers have, and, and, and members have been following the news when it comes to this GameStop and the meme stocks and, and things like that, you know, cryptocurrency. And it's like, okay, I've got to go make my million and make that up real quickly. So I'm going to go leverage the house and buy cryptocurrency at 60000 all of a sudden it turns to 30000 Well, see, that hurry up and get rich mentality is not what God talks about in the Bible. He no. says he gathers little by little. That's and right. So it's just being a good steward over a little bit and don't be anxious to get rich. Be That's a right. good steward and have a longer term perspective. That's so great. Um, now, I want to clarify something because when you are speaking about a retirement account, are you talking about a 401k or just a Roth IRA or what are you referring to? Um, that, that was just basically an example of just showing the power of compound interest. Where okay. should somebody begin investing? You know, if you're working for a company and they have a 401k, you want to use the 401k because of the fact right. that the company is going to match your contribution. Now you have to ask yourself the question, do I want to do this before tax or after tax? And my general guidance there is, I mean, I'm 59. So the, uh, the, the advantage of using a Roth account, it's not that it is not powerful, but there's uh, a little bit more advent, uh, advantage in my side to being able to get a deduction for my contribution or reducing my taxable income. Now, if I was 25, 35, 45, the Roth 401k or a Roth would be something that I would want to consider, especially uh, depending upon your tax bracket. So there's a number of variables to determine whether or not I should use a pre-tax or an after-tax 401k or a 401k Roth, uh, depending upon the individual situation. So many churches and ministries don't offer 401ks because they are a 501c3. We are offered, what is it, a 402b or something, 405? 403b, a tax annuity. However, current law does permit nonprofit organizations to offer 401ks. Okay. Um, and so 401k, 403b, employer match, those types of things. Uh, those are still both the the same type of a vehicle, different, a little bit of different flavor of ice cream. Uh, but the bottom line is they're both uh, wonderful vehicles to use uh, to help an individual uh, get towards those retirement years. The point is just to start somewhere. Yeah. And then yeah. everybody's situation is a little bit different. You have to look, do they have access for a company that does have a 401k or a nonprofit that has a 403b? If they don't have either uh, you could look at a 403B, 401K. If you can't do any of those, you can always do IRAs individually. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can ask yourself, could I do it on a deductible basis or a pre-tax basis, or excuse me, after-tax basis with a Roth, so traditional IRA versus a Roth IRA. 
So the average church in America, studies are showing are under, they're under 100 people. And then obviously studies are showing also that tithing is decreasing, which means that pastors that were already overworked and underpaid are now still overworked and even more underpaid and are typically just struggling to get by. This is the average pastor in America that studies are showing. Um, We have, I have interviewed Billy Joe and Teresa Watts about being bivocational. They're actually tri-vocational pastors. They run um, some real estate and they pastor and they have some other ventures as well. It's difficult for a pastor to be able to manage their time pastoring, taking care of their members, as well as having a full-time job. That is absolutely understandable. But one of the things that you and I spoke about previously is investing in yourself. Um, You encouraged my husband to get his uh, CPA. He qualifies for it. He is studying for it because the best investment you can do is in yourself. So uh, as a pastor who may not be able to have another full-time position, do you have any suggestions for people making money outside of that? Let me, let me uh, yes. And, and let me address this is that um, I think that the concept is don't uh, look at how much you're trying to save or what you're trying to do. I think really what I'm going to is the parable of the talent. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you've got. Great point. Really Great. The and so whether it's uh, education, investing in yourself, uh, whether you're pastoring or working outside tent making, if you want to call it that, sort of like Paul's concept, uh, you know, it's, it's what you do with what you have. God never went to the, to the, uh, to the people with the parable of talent and said um, uh, how much you have. What he held them accountable for is what they did with what, what they, they did, did have. That's right. That's right. And I think it really begins with that concept right there. Then, then to the extent that an individual is working outside, uh, whether they're self-employed or working for somebody else, then you have to begin asking yourself, okay, you have to take an inventory of where you are. Uh, another proverb is know the condition of your flock. Um, and uh, give your attention to your herds. What is that? That's like Proverbs 27, 23, 20, 23, 24, somewhere in there. And I think the concept there is you have to do an self-assessment. Where am I? Take an inventory of where I am. And that really means just sitting down and walking through and you call it a financial statement, but let's just sort of do a, okay, what's in my checking account? What's in my savings account? Do I have a 401k? Does my employer have access to one if I'm, if my church uh, vocation does not, does my outside activity, uh, whether that's with another employer, but if I'm self-employed, should I do an IRA? Should I do a step IRA? Uh, should I do a solo 401k? So you have to begin doing an assessment. What is the value of my home? Uh, what, uh, what do I own and what do I owe? So, and you're just putting together my assets and my liabilities. What do I own and what do I owe? And getting that assessment of where you are and then also taking a look at that paycheck and understanding that most people, Whitney, will be drawing about $1,500 a month of Social Security. And this is a big issue uh, for many people that are in the ministry. Have they opted out of Social Security or are they in Social Security? But let's just assume that someone, uh, an average 
household income of $50,000, that individual is going to be drawing about $1,500 a month of Social Security benefits. That's 7.65% of their paycheck is going towards Medicare and Social Security. That's money that you are forced to invest. Mm. The equivalent value of, 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 of contributing that money into your Social Security to get a $1,500 a month income is an equivalent value of a quarter of a million dollars. So you have accumulated a quarter of a million dollars in your account that's been forced upon you by the government to the extent that you're paying Social Security benefits. The other aspect of that is there's a 1.45% tax and a 6.2% Social Security tax. The 1.45% is for the Medicare tax. That's our health insurance when we turn 65 or we become eligible for Medicare. Mm-hmm. So those are things that we need to understand in our financial planning as well. So those are forced savings. So Social Security is not something that the government own, owes or owns, it's something that I own. It's my money that I'm putting in. It's almost like a forced 401k called Social Security. So understanding how much that benefit is to you by logging in, creating your username, your password, verifying your income over your working history, making sure that those numbers are correct because they base your, what they call your Social Security benefit on your primary insurance amount. Uh, They base that based upon your best 35 years of your working history. And then what are benefits to a surviving spouse and how does Medicare work? And I guess my point of all that is there are starting with what you have, not comparing yourself to somebody else because that kills everything. Um, you know, the problem with my debt is my neighbor's new car and my neighbor's new house and my neighbor's new whatever. We're not called to compare. Everybody right. is uniquely created. And so just looking at whether you have one talent, two talents, or five talents, use what you have, that principle of use. It's like building a muscle. The more you use it, you start out with a little and you have resistance. But over time, that resistance makes that muscle stronger. So you move from one talent to two talents to five talents. And that's a principle of the law of use is applicable to anybody, whether you're born again or not. So we want to use what God has entrusted to us and be a good steward. But you have to sort of stop, take inventory of where you are, know the condition of your flock and then the condition of your herd, build that inventory. What do I own? Who do I owe? How do I get out of debt? Putting together a plan of managing debt, getting out of debt, managing your resources, understanding that paycheck, where's money going? and going from there. So hopefully that helps a little bit. That was amazing. Uh, I mean, we, we call it facing the facts. You know, when you talk about taking inventory, we, we call it facing the facts. Uh, it's not about being in faith or not being in faith. It's about looking at what you have actually in front of you, face the reality of it, and then step into faith about what you can do. But the Bible also says faith without works is dead. So you can be in faith about increasing your finances or getting out of debt, but if you're not working towards it, what does it do, right? 100% correct. Um, uh, uh, There's precious treasure and oil in the house of the wise. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't happen without um, planning. Right. And the other side of that is um, you have to just sort of stop, stop, take an assessment of where you are, like you're saying, facing the facts, 
I also say in Proverbs, it says a prudent person, a prudent man uh, uh, takes a look at the future and they assess where they are. And if they don't, they're considered a prudent, what is that? A prudent man considers danger and looks at it and plans. And if they don't, they're considered to have lost the faith and worse than an infidel. We are wow. called to stop and look at the situation. And, it's, and, and, and as a result of that, it's not a lack of faith. It is definitely tied back into faith because then once I know my situation, then I can begin speaking to my giant or I can begin speaking to the mountain. And oftentimes, you know, we get into a situation, we live in a fallen world, you know, we create sometimes situations that are challenging to get out of. So we have to stop and take that assessment. But until that mountain, we speak to it by faith, but until it is removed, and cast into the sea. The thing that I've learned in my life is you speak to the mountain, but in the meantime, there's gold in the mountain to be mined out. Come on. There are things that you can learn as a result of that. And yeah. uh, God wants us not always to be immediately delivered mm. because we're going to immediately jump back in and create another situation. And there's the value of mining the gold out of the mountains that are in front of us so that we don't go around that mountain a second time. That's good. That verse of scripture is actually a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the naive keep going and suffer for it. We're, consider, we're to stop, take assessment, the prudent, uh, stop, take a look at that and see what we're to do. And, and, and as a result of that, we have the ability then to search scripture to know how to speak specifically to the situation. That's good. Okay, one question I have that I've heard over and over again is get out of debt before you start to save. Now for my family of five, that's unrealistic for us because we have kids we have to look at and having a security net in our savings account for us was more important than paying off my husband's student loans. So do you agree or disagree with paying off all debt before you save? Well, I think that there's a process to getting there. Uh, when okay. we define, we have to define all debt. Um, your personal residence, I'm going to exclude that because most people would never be able to build their net worth without using debt. Um, mm. There are strategies that you can do that by leveraging up and things like that uh, in a prudent way. But taking the house out of the equation, it's what I call good debt and bad debt. And let me give you an example with buying a house. If I buy a house for $100,000, my balance, and I put down $10,000 uh, to go uh, in the, uh, as a down payment to be able to get a loan and things like that. There's two things that have happened on what I own and versus what I owe. I own a $100,000 house. I owe $90,000. You net those two together and you still are not in debt because you can sell the home and make $10,000. Mm. Okay. Because your net worth is $10,000 to the positive. And that is a way to grow your net worth is by uh, being prudent and buying that property because you immediately put $100,000 on your financial statement, even though you have a corresponding $90,000 debt. So there's a good debt, bad debt situation. What's bad debt? Bad debt is credit cards. I mean, if we're running up credit cards because of the fact that my neighbors knew whatever, trying to be the most fashionable, trying to keep up with the trends, my comment there is the borrower is servant to the lender. Yes. And it's being managing those desires and asking 
it really comes down to, do I want to be able to use my check to pay somebody else or do I want to be able to live within my means? If I don't live like anybody else for the first 10 years of my life, I will not live like anybody else the rest of my life. That's right. And so it's maintaining some self-control. And I, it, it's a very difficult message for people to hear. Um, we are a, an immediate, instantaneous gratification society today. Yes. And if I want it, I go get it. Credit cards are hand out like candy today. And uh, you go and have 22, 23, 24% interest rate on a credit card. That is not prudent. So there are ways to work our way there. Um, Dave Ramsey is the guru when it comes to talking about how to get out of debt and the snowball effect. The rationale or the, the logic there is get out of debt. And I am a big proponent on that um, because I have seen the impact of debt. And I'll tell you what oftentimes miss, is missing with me when I see a lot of debt on people's financial statements. They're not tithing. Great point. And I really, I mean, I've, I've done this 35 years. This year is my 35th year of doing this. And I'll do sometimes a couple of hundred appointments a month. So if I did 10 months at 200 appointments, that's 2,000 appointments a year. And I'm, I, so I have seen a lot of situations, good, bad, and in there, whatever. And the one thing that I can almost consistently say when I see a home that's in order, the first thing that I see is somebody's tithing. And there are so many things that, that tie back into that. And the first one is, God, we all know that God doesn't need our tithe. What he wants our tithe, what he wants is our dependence upon him. Mm. And when we are dependent upon him and we bring the prince of peace into our financial situation and we walk in unity with our spouse, or if you're a single person with your Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit and somebody that you're accountable to, when we're walking in unity, there's power in unity. In fact, it's said in the Tower of Babel. God said, I got to scramble their language because these people have one voice. They are in unity. They have one power. One puts a thousand to flight. He puts 10,000 to flight. And the thing that I've learned at this season of life where I am, that um, if an individual can get in agreement with their spouse or, again, with somebody they're accountable for and manage their finances and live within their means, you will live like nobody else the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on and go on and on about that, but there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack there. And uh, by that tithe, though, if my car breaks down, but I'm servicing my car every 5,000 miles, rotating the tires, and my budget is very tight and something comes up, I, and, yet I'm t- and, and my car has a, a, an engine that goes or something happens, if I'm being a steward over that resource, and all of a sudden, life happens, the mm-hmm. engine goes or something like that, that's unexpected, and I don't have the resources for it, but I'm tithing. That's when I am in partnership and subordinate to the Lord is over my finances. I have no problem at all sitting there. Lord, you have to bring it in on the raven's wings to take care of that car because I'm a steward. Now I can trust you to bring in the finances to fix it or to get another 10,000 miles or a 50,000 miles out of that car that may not look the best when you turn it on and all the smoke blows out. You know, it's managing the things that God has given you and uh, uh, trusting the Lord. And that's 
tithe is a tremendous anchor in our lives and it, it regulates self-discipline because that first 10% belongs to the Lord. That's good. I was actually just having this conversation with someone recently about how tithing has become a religious ritual that you've lost. A lot of people have lost the heart posture of what it really means. And you summed it up so beautifully in that, that it's about us relying on him and being in communication with him about where we are. If, if, if a person gets paid, and I want to do it to the extreme, if you get paid every week and you tithe every week and life happens every week, you can kick the devil in the teeth, or actually he doesn't have any teeth because he's a roaring lion, has a roaring lion, but you can tell him to shut up and because that tithe is a part reflection of my continued dependence upon the Lord's provision. That's good. It keeps me humble. That tithe is for me, my heart. It's not about the money. And you're right. People get into the, that's almost like a, a spiritual casino. Yes. And that I give a, you this, you give me that. A hundredfold if it's good soil. I'm not disregarding any of that. I believe that. But the heart issue, the power of the tithe is not the return on the harvest. It's no. I'm in agreement and walking with the provider, Jehovah right. Jireh. Come on, preach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take a tithe afterwards or an offering. <laughs> no, but I mean, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it really yes, sir. And so every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever you're getting paid, it is an inward, it's an outward reflection of an inward spiritual issue. I am dependent upon the Lord and I start with him. God works by, in, by priorities. He's not moved by your need. He's moved by compassion, mm. but he works by priorities. And so his priorities are seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things shall be added unto you. It's not, well, maybe I'll tithe. Maybe, and I, I didn't mean to turn this into a tithing issue, but I- I love it because I was yeah, wanting it, it. it. It's so great. It really is a part of the, quote, budgeting process. It is. It's that sitting there taking an assessment of, okay, and, and really addressing the issue of the first 10% belongs to the Lord for me. It's because he knows we are human and, and, and life happens daily. I need that dependence. Secondly, trying to get to the place to where we save a little bit, just put a little emergency account, then just kill Goliath's debt, the dumb debt, what I call truly the dumb debt, the ego yeah. debt, trying to satisfy the flesh debt, kill that part. And then rather than trying to get the house paid off immediately, be patient. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on doing. It's that persistence, the law of perseverance, the keep on keeping on and be diligent with use. Use what you have. Do not despise the $25. Every dollar has a destiny. Every dime has a, 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 every nickel has a name and every penny has a purpose. I mean, everything has got to have, it comes back to stewardship. It's not mine. It's not mine. That's so and good. so when we realize that, Lord, I'm stewarding your money. It's not my clothes. It's not my paycheck. It's not my car. And if my image and my 
self-esteem is wrapped up in these external temporary things versus my image. I know who I am in Christ. I know who I am and what I am, not based upon how I look and how I feel in the neighborhood I live in. Come on. Those things are important. They're a witness to the world about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But what we do is we want the big house without the discipline and the stewardship because discipline hurts. Stewardship and saying no is not fun. But God doesn't let us do everything. He wrote the Ten Commandments. So there's a lot of no before there's a lot of yes. Man, that's so good. You talk about financial discipline. I I am so grateful that I married a financially frugal man because he's kept us in check (laughs) our whole marriage. (laughs) What's beautiful about that, Whitney, is God brings opposites together. They do. That's right, because if, if we're so focused on if you're if you're if you're 25, 35 years old and you're focused on 65 or 70, okay, it, it, and you save everything, you know, life is not a life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you've right. got to enjoy the journey. So if one spouse is focused on 20, 40, 40 years from now, the other spouse is focused on the next five minutes when the next commercial comes on TV or QVC or when I can run down to the mall or buy something online on Amazon. If, if my focus is, look at the balance. There's got to be unity. Yeah. And, and one, sometimes one spouse is stronger than the other in different moments. So it's being in agreement to be able to stay the course. Well, that's all you get to hear today. To listen or watch the rest of our conversation, including more info on debt 401ks and an encouraging word, you'll need to register for the FCF Quarter 3 Virtual Conference, Ministry and Money. During the conference, you'll get to learn more from Mark, as well as other experts in fundraising, practical ministry finances, bivocational pastors, and more. More info on the conference is in the description below, including a link to register. And I do have to add, Mark takes online financial planning meetings. My husband and I had one in December, and he helped refocus us. And in less than one year, we are almost debt-free. So there is also contact information for Mark Lower and the Advancement Group in the description as well. Join us next time where we continue to learn more on ministry and money. Thanks for listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. To learn more, go to fcf.org.